0: Here's a place where all of us can be safe, our stories of transformation can be safe, and all the things we want to research are safe here. This is Safe Space with Cheyenne. I'm really excited you're here, and I hope you stick around for a while, because I've got a lot to show you before I leave Earth. I love you guys. Welcome back, all of my friends. I have a long-awaited guest. His name is Stu Sallow. He is also known as the Deadhead Cyclist. If you have not checked out his book, The Deadhead Cyclist, don't worry, you're not behind. You can still grab it right now. Today, we're not only going to talk about the evolution of how he found his alter ego, the Deadhead Cyclist, but the book itself and Grateful Dead lyrics and how he is using their lyrics and their poetry to inspire people to live a much more passionate and purposeful life. So Stu, thank you so much for being here today.
1: My pleasure. Thank you for having me.
0: So many places that I want to start, especially after deep diving all of your articles, but I really want you to start, especially for the listeners, so we can paint a picture of maybe who you were before the Deadhead Cyclist, how you really came into it. I know you were cycling as, like, as young as four years old, so that's really embedded into who you are and how you really center yourself, I think would be a good way to state it. Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, Well, I was a cyclist far before I was a deadhead, I will admit that, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I grew up in, uh, uh, well, in my very young years, I lived in the uh, Twin Cities, uh, mostly a suburb of Minneapolis called St. Louis Park, and um, I began learning to ride a bike at the age of four, and I took to it uh, very quickly and have just loved riding bikes ever since. Now, as far as becoming a deadhead, that wasn't until uh, I was 19 years old and uh, I was living in Southern California at the time and I was going to UCLA and there wasn't much about the Grateful Dead in Southern California at that time because the Grateful Dead were mostly a uh, Bay Area, uh, we, we called it Northern California, but it's really Central California band. And uh, we, didn't, we didn't really hear much about The Grateful Dead down in Southern California. But one summer, between my freshman and sophomore year, a friend of mine who had gone to Berkeley came back to Southern California for summer break with Tales of the Grateful Dead. And uh, we started listening to The Grateful Dead together. And um, shortly thereafter, I attended my first concert in 1974, and then I was off and running and was a full-fledged uh, deadhead. Uh, I, I, I transferred from UCLA to UC Santa Cruz, which is up there in the redwood forests in central California. I learned to play guitar uh, under the redwood trees, and um, no, that wasn't my major. My major was sociology, but uh, I learned to play the guitar and uh, got involved in the remnants of the hippie culture that was still alive and well in that area during the mid-70s and really found who I was as um, an alternative thinking, Santa Cruz living, guitar playing, acid dropping, pot smoking, uh, uh, Honor-earning uh, uh, sociology major at, at UC Santa Cruz in the Redwood Forest.
0: Well, I mean, it still sounds like even though you're dropping acid and doing all that, you're still passing on your classes. So, I mean, that's <laughs> that's what I right. For that's most right. Dropping acid, they usually drop I, out.
1: <laughs> I I earned honors in the major and uh, and and somehow managed to graduate uh, on time. Even in spite of all of that. In fact, uh, since you mentioned that, I think it's a really interesting subject because, um, you know, I've since stopped um, using uh, drugs. Um, Well, except for pharmaceutical drugs, which I take for uh, things like headaches or whatever. You know, I, I can't I can't say I've completely stopped taking drugs, but I don't consider marijuana or cannabis to be a drug. And, and many of us, um, can, uh, hold down jobs, run businesses, write books, um, raise families, um, be, be spouses, uh, and things of that nature, you know, while still, uh, you know, using the occasional, uh, you know, smoking the occasional joint and, um, uh, I, I certainly didn't mean to talk about that during this interview. Oh, no. Uh, you, but but you yes, but up. yes, you know, I mean, drug use is an important subject in the context of the Grateful Dead. Mm-hmm. And we have examples of, uh, in, in, uh, of uh, drug use that was detrimental to the individual. Um, not, name, not naming any names right now, but I think we all know who I'm talking about. Um, someone who died just about 28 years ago, almost to the day. Uh, and, you know, that's that's something that we need to pay attention to. I was just at a Dead & Con- Company concert, um, three of them actually, over this past weekend. And, you know, uh, and, and having listened to so many Grateful Dead concerts, uh, having meticulously listened to so many Grateful Dead concerts, it became obvious to me over the course of writing my book that, uh, these guys were really fucked up a lot, and it really affected um, in both a positive and negative way. But often in a negative way, it affected their ability to perform professionally. And the the, the boys in Dead and Company have uh, show no evidence of, of of that sort of thing. Uh, in nineteen seventy uh, In nineteen seventy five. I was at a Jerry Garcia concert at Winterland, and there was a, um, a musician in his band at that time playing keyboards by the name of Nicky Hopkins. And uh, at one point of the show, uh, the, the promoter, the famous promoter, Bill Graham, had to come out on the stage, walk over to Nicky at his keyboard, and I was, I was right up against the stage, so I could hear this very clearly. And he leaned over to Nicky, and he said, Nicky, Nikki, you're at Winterland you're playing a concert you're 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 playing in the Jerry Garcia band you're at Winterland playing a concert because he was so um, I I think probably drunk but who knows what cocktail of mm-hmm. of substances were floating around in his blood veins at that moment um he had to be he had to be told you know where he was and so sometimes um, performers take it a little bit too far and I think it's really important um, to take note of that, especially in the context of the Grateful Dead, and use drugs responsibly. I don't want to sound like a just say no kind of guy. Um, now, you kids, don't try this at home, but um, or wait till you you know you stay in school. Now, I'm not I'm not I'm not into that, but but I have learned I have learned, um, I have learned uh, through my experience with the Grateful Dead. They they were mo- both positive and negative role models to me in that regard and other and in other regards.
0: Well, why we're talking about this subject, what do you feel about the psychedelic movement that's coming back even in a medicinal standpoint rather than recreational and it's illegal and it's bad for you and stay away because it'll melt your mind.
1: Yeah. well, the 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 just say no, stay away. It's going to melt your mind uh, idea is largely propaganda. Um, I do think that it's important to not use to an excess to the extent that it interferes with your life, with your ability to, as I said, you know, hold down a job, run a business, you know, be a responsible partner, raise children. Um, you know, drive safely, you know, whatever it is. I think, I think that's important. But what we're talking about when we talk about psychedelics right now is the therapeutic use of psychedelics, which was always a thing. Uh, I mean, it was extremely therapeutic. Uh, back when I was in my twenties and going to Grateful Dead concerts, I would see things. Uh, while on psychedelics that I wouldn't see otherwise that were revelatory to me. Some of them are outlined in my book and uh, mostly having to do with the ego death that is typically involved in in the use of psychedelic drugs. This ego death is a a really, really important thing uh, in the human maturing process. We've all experienced a lot of people who are Uh, extremely immature and in need of an an ego-death experience uh, like the ones that are available through psychedelic drugs and in many other ways. Um, Currently, though, uh, they're they're using psychedelic drugs uh, in a therapeutic situation to deal with issues like uh, anxiety and depression. And I think that is very, very promising. And of course, there's going to be a lot of opposition from the mainstream medical community that would prefer that people take antidepressant drugs and that sort of thing rather than natural substances like psilocybin and uh, ketamine. Is that, I, I think I got that right. I think that's another one that's, that's, another that's one. up and coming. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm definitely uh, intrigued and, uh, encouraged by that and through my own personal experience um, I I think it's I think it's can be mostly beneficial and there's also a part of it that you need to be careful of because if you indulge in it to excess it it can interfere with your ability to run your life
0: yeah definitely mind-altering for sure but I'm like you I love the new investigation on the therapeutic and just from my own experience with psychedelics in my younger years and I didn't really touch acid a lot I was more into mushrooms but just mm-hmm. the first couple experiences I had on mushrooms, I fully believe that it was propaganda that kept us away from it. Because the way that your mind can just expand and you really get the higher perspective. I always say you're just like taken out of your suffering for a minute. And you're like, look, it's an illusion. This mm-hmm. this is what mm-hmm. you're like. Here's the map. Okay, now go back down. And then you right. go back down and you really hope when you wake up the next day you remembered all of the keys to the universe. <laughs>
1: I think if you just remember your uh, particular place in the universe, I think that's one of the things that that I gained from my psychedelic experiences is the feeling that I was absolutely essential and completely insignificant simultaneously. Mm -hmm. That's one of the great paradoxes of the human experience and actually of of, the experience of any life form on this planet. Your dog is, you know, everything's, you know, I I bring that up because, pardon me, my dog is 12 years old and she's starting to get old. She's having a hard time getting up and down stairs. And, you know, I'm beginning to see the handwriting on the wall as far as, you know, uh, the end coming for her. And um, uh, the dog species they're going to continue on just fine even after she's gone. And yet, at the same time, her link in the chain was absolutely essential to keeping the whole thing going. And the same is true of, of, of human beings. We're, we're absolutely essential but completely insignificant simultaneously. And, and under psychedelics, you can kind of wrap your mind around that idea in, in a whole new way that kind of makes it make sense, even though it seems uh, paradoxically illogical Um, at face value.
0: I always like, I want to tie the essential feeling, the feeling of needing to be alive and doing stuff, whether it is like a passion or work or whatever, that's still tied to the I and the ego for me. And then when you talk about understanding the significance, it just, it's like the spirit and the ego having a conversation sitting next to each other. And he's like, I'm important, I'm essential, I do this, I have this job, this is my title, this is my car, this is my house. You know, you paint your whole world and then you have the spiritual guru knowing the insignificance and the importance of it, but still being able to speak to the essential part of your personality from a higher perspective and be like, enjoy it, because just like you said, you are a link in the chain, but when you're gone, you're gone and... The mm-hmm. insignificant sets
1: and, in. And, that, and that's it. And 100 years from now, nobody is going to miss you. And yet, you know, you contributed something essential to the, whole, to the whole thing. Hopefully you, as Jerry Garcia put it, moved the whole human race ahead a step or two.
0: Well, if that's what he wanted, that's what he sure did.
1: I couldn't agree more, um, both in terms of the... Uh, positive uh, model that he set as well as the negative model that he set.
0: But I think it should be said, going back to your story about them being like, hey, you're playing the show, like he was so out of his mind. And there, I mean, there's artists to this day. It's not common to tie in any type of rock star, pop star, whatever, with drug use and be like, oh, what a surprise. They're on drugs while they're performing. And if you get to talk to the ones that actually sober up and, figure out why they did so many. Um, It's the anxiety and almost like exposing themselves on stage that they love to do, but they're also so terrified to do at the same time. And they find out that the drugs level them out and they don't have to focus on that anxiety. And then that ultimately becomes a part of the way that you only know how to perform. Because every video I've seen of Jerry Garcia, he just looks like the most lovable, laughable, wonderful, vicarious person that you want to be with or live through or just soak up his energy. So then when mm-hmm. you look at the negative aspects of him, which we all have those shadows in us, you're just like, why Why were you doing so much heroin? Why were you mm-hmm. doing this? Like, I just want to know. I'm not judging you because mm-hmm. you're still a legend to me. I still think that you impacted millions and still... Decades later, millions and millions of people—it still continues to go on. Right. My favorite part, jumping back to so your friend coming and e- explaining Grateful Dead to you. Do you remember how he explained, like how he felt and what he experienced with the music, and just being around the people in the community, or even your first experience of the Deadhead community?
1: I remember my first experiences and um, the experiences that I've had really throughout my life ever since Uh are, um, I guess if I had to boil it down to one word, I would say belonging. There is a sense of belonging, but not just belonging, belonging to something good and right. Uh And, you know, in our troubled world, and I don't want to be narcissistic I don't want to be a, a, a narcissistic generation that says the world is more troubled during my generation than it's ever been before, because I think that is another illusion that we all operate under. Mm. I, I think every generation feels that their generation is, is, is troubled in its own ways, and, uh, and they don't want to pass those troubles along to another generation because they love their children. And they want to leave a better world for their children. And, and and the fact is that you can't avoid passing along a troubled world to your children, and it's going to be troubled. It's going to continue to be troubled. But the extent to which the world is troubled is a function of how we human beings operate within within the world. And, uh, and the Grateful Dead have always represented to me um, an opportunity to... Uh, make the world better, to heal some of the brokenness of the world, and uh, and and to have a, a hell of a good time while doing it. Mm-hmm. And I and I think I think that's you know kind of that's kind of what deadhead cyclist means to me. You know, the the deadhead is the part of me that cares to. Uh, uh, be a better person every day of my life than I was before, to pass along wisdom to others, uh, and to generally leave the world a little bit better for my having been here, which is why I wrote a book about it. The cyclist part of it is the part of me that just loves having a good time. And I love getting out on two wheels and being in the wilderness. That's my connection with the divine, is when I'm when I'm in the wilderness, uh, I have the same experience when I'm hiking, but it's not quite the same as cycling. There's something about cycling for me uh, that just in, it, that just brings me um, so many good feelings and so so much insight. Uh, and so it was on two wheels that I developed a lot of the ideas uh, that I uh, put forth in my book. About Grateful Dead lyrics, I use those as a launching pad for teaching life lessons, and there are fifty two life lessons in the book, one for each week of the year, and in a virtual trip around the sun from January to December with a this week in Grateful Dead uh, history concert pick and a life lesson to be learned from a song performed at that concert. and uh, uh, but but back to your question, uh, i I think it's just, uh, I just have never let go of it, even though I've dipped my toe in many other, uh, many other spiritual paths along the way. But this is the one that has endured. And you can see that it's endured for many people because it's still alive and well. I was just at three concerts with 60,000 people in Boulder, Colorado last weekend, um, seeing a band pre- uh, performing songs of the Grateful Dead, uh, a band that uh, that ceased to exist almost 28 years ago. I don't know how many uh, other bands that are playing music today are going to still be popular to that degree 28 years down the road. Not many.
0: Not many at all. My best mm-hmm. friend was also at that show, so when you were there, I, I felt like I was there in spirit with both of you. <laughs> I was watching <laughs> yeah. it all, waiting for it to come on Nugs.net. Hoping that I could see all the little snippets, and now everything's coming out. This morning, John Mayer made a post. So he has a really good photographer that showcases the stage, and even said, like, Dave Matthews' band came out and played like four songs with them, which I thought was super cool. I just can't imagine how emotional it is for you. Honestly, like, so just like you, I had a friend come to me and was like, I just went to my first Dead & Company show, and I have to tell you about it. And
1: mm-hmm.
0: he basically summed it up the same way, where it was a sense of belonging. But the my favorite part about his details were um, he talked about how it didn't matter what your job was, like what you wore who you worked for, like all of, again, all these egotistical things that we always categorize ourselves in our everyday lives. He's like, you have doctors and lawyers tripping acid together, screaming Mm -hmm. out lyrics that, you know, make sense to them or don't make sense to them. He's like, everyone's so nice to you. He's like, it's just the belonging. And I remember when I was getting ready to go to my first and only show because I didn't make the final tour this year. I was like, I'm finally gonna experience this community that everybody's been talking to me about. My friends are total deadheads. They've been to, I don't even know how many shows. And I'm like, I'm finally here. You know, I've, I've made my outfit. I'm gonna go on Shakedown Street. I've, I'm doing it all. And I just remember standing there and looking out in the crowd. And I don't know how many people are there, obviously. Thousands, but just taking in that moment of just being with this iconic historical band and John Mayer, because mm-hmm. I'm a huge fan of him anyways. Then I fast forward to doing the Dark Night of the Soul research and I found your, I Can't Walk You Out in the Morning Do post, mm-hmm. one, of, one of the 52, and I was reading it, started going through your website, I saw that you'd been to over 200 Grateful Dead shows, and I'm like, what type of expansion could someone possibly get from that? How do you introspect over and over and over and continue to go into this community? And now you spent three days in Boulder on their final tour, and I have to ask: Did you cry at all in those seventy-two hours? Because I would Gosh, fall. It, it's
1: you know, Cheyenne. It's funny that you that you said that because, or that you asked that because, while you were saying it, I was thinking. You know, uh, I think what you said was, you can't imagine how emotional it must be for me. Yeah. And when you said those words, I remembered back to uh, crying, uh, hearing the words, brown-eyed women and red grenadine, the bottle was dusty, but the liquor was clean. And, from the song Brown-Eyed Women. Mm-hmm. And to hear 60,000 people singing this in unison, all united, uh it's it is very emotional and there's almost always a moment when I go to these Grateful Dead concerts where I where I am moved to tears I I must I must admit that and I was thinking well is it is it is it appropriate for me to admit that in a in, a, in an interview like this and uh, I think well yeah it probably is and, and then you and then you ask me the direct question so I can't escape from it now yeah. but but but, but, the, but the answer is yes it is it is very emotional for me um Another another emotional experience I had that I would like to share with you, if 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 I may. Of course. um, Speaks to the same kind of unifying. You were talking about how there's doctors and there's lawyers, and there was a guy that uh, a a friend of mine who uh, is a bus driver who texted me the day of the last show, and I happened to have an extra ticket, and I I was able to uh, to bring him along to the show. There's there's people of. Say again?
0: I said you miracled your friend.
1: Yes, I miracled my friend. Yes. Um, And there are people from all walks of life. And the the reality, the truth is, we are all the same. Regardless of all of the divisive issues that the powers that be try to parade in front of us as a means of divide and conquer, we are all the same. We all came into this world um, as infants and couldn't do anything for ourselves. Um, We were all loved by our parents. Um, We all grew up confused, (laughs) trying to figure out what this whole thing was all about. Um, we, We all participated in... Uh, in a, a public education system that is uh, fundamentally broken. Um, we all uh, tried to figure out what our place is in the world. We all struggle with the same kinds of issues, financial issues, emotional issues. Uh, we all love our children and want to leave the world better a better place for them. We've all made mistakes and we've all done things that we regret and that we're ashamed of. And in that regard, I want to share an experience that I had uh, a number of years ago. Uh, Baseball is one of my passions, and I play over 100 games of baseball a year. And one year, I was invited to join a baseball team that was heading to uh, Marin County, just north of San Francisco, to play baseball against prison inmate teams at San Quentin uh, State Prison. San Quentin State Prison has a very unique uh, program. They have a baseball diamond in the middle of the prison yard and for uh, decades they've had a program there where they invite uh, teams from the outside to come in and play uh, their two very good baseball teams, the San Quentin A's and the San Quentin Giants. Those teams are comprised of prison inmates who have to try out for the team and and make the team on the basis of their abilities to play baseball. And they're outfitted in beautiful, sparkling uniforms uh, donated by the Oakland A's and San Francisco Giants, respectively. And over the course of the summer, uh, teams from the outside And our team was called the Dodgers, because most of the players were from Southern California, uh, come into the prison yard for a day, uh, play uh, a morning game against one of the teams. In our case, it was against the Giants. And then come uh, head out to lunch and come back and play an afternoon game against the A's. This was a really really moving experience for me and i documented this in an article that i wrote that won an spj which stands for society of professional journalists award a first place award um i think it was in 2014 so you can look it up online um on boulderweekly.com or uh, on the huffington post if you want to read this article about the experience of going to san quentin prison and playing uh, baseball against inmates. The important lesson that I learned from that experience is we are all the same. I was able to interact uh, and interface with, with prisoners. I had conversations with them. I heard their stories. I heard what they were in for. I heard what their dreams were, uh, uh, what they wanted to do with their lives after they, um, uh, after they were released. And uh, it, it, was, it was a very moving experience because my intention was to answer the question, are there, are there bad people in the world or are there people who have done bad things? That's a really, really important distinction to make. We've all done bad things. Not, most of us have not done things so bad that they felt they had to lock us up for a while, okay? But we've all done bad things that we regretted and have had to make amends or pay a price in in one form or another even if it's just a simple you know buying your wife flowers because you were rude to her that's you know that's your prison sentence so to speak I shouldn't put it that way uh, I'm going to get in trouble for that but but um uh, so so you know uh, uh the reason I bring that up is because you know you mentioned in the grateful dead community how how there's a feeling of, of, of unity and how, uh, how people from so many different walks of life have participated in this Grateful Dead movement. And that's a, a really important part of what's kept this movement alive for, for so many years, for uh, 57 years now and counting, and even 28 years after Jerry Garcia died
0: profound and I'm trying to think where I even go from there except for <laughs> as you were talking I actually had a relatable story with inmates as well and I want to share it with you Do too tell. because I kind of had the same the same thing but before I know I'll remember that story but I'm scared I'm gonna forget this question okay. um because I'm I'm like you, like I love figuring out like the silver lining in a bad situation. What's the life lesson here? Like, what is this teaching me? Did you have that mindset like as you were going to school when you were 19 or did your development with psychedelics plus the Grateful Dead and just the expansion of your mind really give you that introspection over the years or have you just always been such an introspective person?
1: Well, the thing about psychedelics and about um, getting involved in the Grateful Dead community is that it only brings forth that which is already there. Mm -hmm. So my answer is, I always had the potential. I always had it in me to be... whatever you want to call it, a philosopher, Uh, someone who um, um, sees the deeper meaning in things, Uh, sees the life lesson that there is to be learned. It, It was always within me. And to be honest, I think it's always within all of us. The question is, how does that get brought forward or how does it get a wet blanket thrown over it? Here's, here's an interesting analogy. You know how pit bulls are generally thought to be vicious mm-hmm. and even some communities um, uh, outlaw pit bulls? Mm-hmm. Well, the fact is, pit bulls can be, if they're raised with gentle love, can be the most gentle loving creatures around. Okay, it's, it's a matter of, and the opposite is also true. If they're bred with anger and hate, well, then that is going to come forward. And so, similarly, that's true of human beings also. We all have the capacity to be generous, kind, loving individuals. That is our birthright. Unfortunately, we all have the shadow side of ourselves as well, which is the which is the, has the potential to be hateful and vindictive and divisive. And the question is, what kind of life experiences do you avail yourself of that either bring forth one part of that, one part of yourself or another? And luckily for me, um, I was very fortunate to find the Grateful Dead, to escape from Southern California, with, 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 all, with all due apologies to, to my friends who live down in that part of, Cal- of California, um, because I know there's a lot of good people there, too, of course. Uh, for me personally, I had to escape uh, from my, from my uh, upbringing and find myself, uh, individuate and find myself separately from all of that. And I found all that in Northern California in the redwood forests of UC Santa Cruz uh, with the Grateful Dead. And uh, so, my answer to your question, in short, in summary, is: I think we all have the potential. Uh, and I was, and I was lucky enough to um, get involved in some things that really brought forth that side of myself. Uh, not, not you know, not the least of which was my 30 years at the helm of an alternative progressive uh, news magazine, namely Boulder Weekly. And having to be an employer and, and, and deal with, you know, uh, financial issues and uh, business partners and uh, lawsuits and small claims courts and all kinds, of, all kinds of things along the way, you know, have all led me to this point in my life where the culmination of my life experience is found in the 52 chapters of this, uh, of this book of mine.
0: I but, ordered but the book I, and it's on the way.
1: Please.
0: I can't I can't wait to flip through it. Usually I have it in front of me so I can flip through it and be like, Look, look at all this. <laughs> but I I can't wait. If and like obviously if you're listening to this, you have to be listening to Grateful Dead and understand the culture and the belonging and the love and just really the devotion of the fan base, either to the lyrics or the posters or creating. My favorite is I mean, besides the music, Shakedown Street for me, all of the vendors, mm-hmm. all the way that mm-hmm. they could mm-hmm. create, the way that they gave their fans the freedom to use the lyrics, the band, all of that. And it wasn't a bunch of, oh, that's copyrighted, that's ours, da-da-da-da, mm-hmm. like all the you know red tape stuff that you get these days. But right. I was thinking... Since your book is 52 weeks, I'll get to that in my story. I haven't forgot it. Since it is 52 mm-hmm. weeks and when I get it, I was thinking about reading it. Like some sometimes like people read the Tao Te Ching where they only do like a poem a day and like sit and meditate on it. And I was mm-hmm. like, I could read a prompt, one a day, and I could get the lyric, the song, the memory of a concert that I did not get to go to, probably because I wasn't born, which I'm totally okay with. And then even get your life lesson insight about it. And I I think like that's what I'll probably do with it. As much as I wanna go through all of it, just reading it like a novel, I love that you set it up for 52 weeks and it is like a day to day. Like I think it's meant for people to really introspect on and breathe is probably the best way I could say it.
1: I, I hope, I do hope so. Um, you mentioned the Shakedown Street, and last weekend I was at Shakedown Street on Saturday and Sunday uh, here in Boulder um, and, and set up a, a booth, a deadhead cyclist booth, and uh, was selling books and talking to folks. And you mentioned the Tao Te Ching. Um, one of the things I would do is if someone approached the table with any level of interest, not wanting to deliver a hard sell or anything, but of course wanting them to buy the book, I took a copy of the book out and I said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take this book. I want you to open this book to a random page, whatever page moves you, and then we're going to look at that page and see if that page has something of value for you, a life lesson for you that's, that's up in your life right now. And invariably there was only one exception but invariably and then we had to pick a different one Uh, because there's because there's a chapter in the book where i talk about the misogyny of the hippie movement and of of the grateful dead Mm -hmm. and uh, this guy happened to open to that page where i used the lyric from mexicali blues instead i've got a bottle and a girl who's just 14 and a damn good case of the mexicali blues i use that lyric as an example of uh, the misogyny that's contained within some of the lyrics of grateful dead tunes he happened to turn to that page and he paused for a minute and uh and, and hesitated and said i think we better pick a different one because i have two daughters You know, so so then we picked a different one, but but in in, but invariably, you know, this this I'm not going to compare the Deadhead Cyclist to the to the Tao Te Ching, but am I getting that right? I think that's. I
0: just mean the fact that people you can read it all through, but it's literally meant to read one and meditate. So like the literature needs room to breathe. Most books, I don't want to say most books, but a higher percentage of books you can read the chapter after chapter like, oh, I can't put this book down, which I still think your content totally fits in that category as well. But as I read through all of the prompts from last night today, just getting ready, I'm like, I have learned so much in 12 to 13 blog posts. I can't even imagine just being able to have the book in my hand with the illustrations. As you can see, I'm a lover of books.
1: Definitely Mm -hmm. an old
0: soul, even with, with my record collection. Um, Mm -hmm. But I'm like, like I'm having conversation with myself about it because I finally ordered it. And I'm like, am I just going to get this thing and like rip through it because I've been waiting for this to be published? I said, or am I going to like take it day by day and actually see what Stu's trying to tell me in each individual prompt?
1: And Mm -hmm. then I
0: committed to myself, I'm just going to read one a day for the next 50 or one a week, I should say, for the next 52 weeks and just let it aerate and see like what comes back to me. Because I'm i like you. I get inspired by other people, whether it's the lyrics, whether it's the artist. It could even be just a conversation I overhear. Someone could say a sentence that sparks a whole poem that I might go write. So mm-hmm. as much as I've connected to the way that you write and even how I'm still trying to figure out how you pick which lyric and what part of the song and the way that you tie it in perfectly with a life lesson is the most astounding thing to me because i sit there i'm like how does he do it like i'm i'm curious as i read the title and then you're telling the beginning of uh this day in grateful dead history and i'm still like how is he going to tie this in where is this going and then by the end of the article you're like i'm just blown away like I haven't gotten through all of them, but there's not one that I'm like, I can't comprehend what he's saying. I don't get why he tied these two together. I've never felt that way. I'm like, I just think it's genius the way that you've tied the lyrics together with the lessons, and you've been able to keep your identity, even though it is your alter ego, but also give such great definition and for lack of a better word, I'm just going to cut the compliment off right here because I can't find it. But the way that you've been able to honor the (laughs) Grateful Dead, keep them like in... You didn't pull them apart too much and you didn't pull yourself apart. The blending is just... I've never seen it in my life. And I... I mean, I could just literally compliment it all day long. And I love people that make me think like that, that I'm continuously curious. And I'm like, how did you do that? That's so crazy. And I really think it is... It just shows the individuality in you for the moment of you being essential right like this is what you get to do when i was younger and i realized i wanted to be an author i used to go to thrift stores and all that and i would find these like dusty books that people had forgotten about 1920 prints can't even imagine how old they were and i pictured them sitting there writing this book and wondered what their intention would be or did they have any realization that some girl in the middle of illinois at 2 p.m. on a tuesday would be picking up their like 1927 print and learning from it and being inspired by it and one of my biggest things kind of like you like what are you going to leave for the world what are you going to do to better it and move it forward in a positive way i was like yeah i would i would love the notoriety of being a best selling author and going out and just connecting and talking with people i said but ultimately when i pass I really want to make sure I'm that book in that thrift store. And a girl like me finds a dust covered book and just goes, thank you so much for writing this because I've right. been able to be inspired. I, it's almost like we're giving pieces of each other's puzzles back to each other, but not everybody's aware of it at the time.
1: Mm-hmm. That's, that's all, that's all very well said. Um, uh, you know, um, I thought this would be a good opportunity to to mention to uh, listeners that there are sample chapters of the Deadhead Cyclist uh, available on deadheadcyclist.com. And I would invite anybody to to go there and, and, uh, uh, you know, have a look and read, you know, find something on there and, you know, see if it doesn't speak to you. And if you do want to order a copy of the book, uh, you can do so right, f- right from the website. I'm
0: there's my little, there's it. my little
1: 10 second commercial message.
0: There it is. There's his promo. But as my uh-huh. listeners always know, if you hit the description on any streaming platform that you're listening on, you're gonna have the description that's gonna tell you a little bit about Stu and how he became the deadhead cyclist on top of an award winning publication and website, again, boulderweekly.com. Go check that out as well. And then right below it, it's going to say, connect with the Deadhead Cyclist, and it's going to have where you can read the sample chapters and where you can buy the book as well. And any other updated information he adds along to his resume, I'll be able to update in the future for all of you as well. So back to my inmate story before we wrap this up, because I love that we have the same epiphanies sometimes. So right. I think 2013, I grew up by the Mississippi River, um, and it, it was rising once again, the levees were not holding up in the area. And we got a call one day around the Berry, Illinois area that the levee was weak and it was potentially going to break and bust out and honestly, like kill all of our neighbors farmlands. And if you know anything about being a farmer, and I don't know if you do, but if Even if it's your buddy's farm, it still feels like you're losing your farm. Like you just, you feel the weight of it. So the Mississippi is rising. It's supposed to rain that night. And my dad, I'm working with my dad at the time. And he's like, hey, when we got off work tonight, we're going to load up the Kawasaki and we're going to the levee. He's like, we're going to go sandbag. And I was like, great. This isn't my first time. I sandbagged when we got flooded in 93. I was three years old. 2008 I did it, and 2013. So anytime the Mississippi rises and we have to go do it, like, I was your girl. I was so excited to volunteer. So we get there, and the local work camp is there. And I think... I'm not of age by any means, but I'm a young girl. And my dad was like, these are all the guys from the work camp. They don't have any, like, violent offenses or anything. It's probably, like, tax evasion or something stupid. He's like, so you don't have to worry about any of them. He's like, but still cheyenne i know how nice you are to everybody so just like don't go overboard is basically what he was doing and i am nice to everybody i don't care if you're in a prison suit or a ceo suit i'm still going to be nice to you so i got we loaded up the first round and i took this thousands of pounds kawasaki mule and i'm driving it on the levee that is unstable the mississippi hmm. river is at like here at my ankles. At the time, I didn't realize like the levee could literally bust any minute with all of us on it. And I have thousands of pounds of sandbags and me and this, I would say he's probably like a 26, 27 year old um, prisoner. And he's the one that was assigned to load it up, ride with me and unload. So I kept going back and talking to everybody. I, again, do not treat the CEO or the prisoner any different. I'm going to be nice and respectful. That's how I was raised. But as I'm going back and forth on these trips, because we worked for about five hours, I would say, just getting this hole or leak figured out, he told me his life story openly. He told me um, how he got into the trouble that he got in. He told me his regrets and his life lessons and his introspection introspections while he had been serving his like two and a half year sentence or something like that at a local work camp one Mm -hmm. of the nicest people i'd ever met he grew up in uh the same family setting as i did so i too had the same questions where i was like one are we born evil how does influence really work on us if we get around the right people like the idols and the anti-idols of our life is what i always like to compare um and even if you are around like a good idol, can you actually only learn from idols or are there people like me in the world who have been entertained by anti-idols and go, oh, I just don't do that. That's somehow mm-hmm. easier for me to go, yeah, just don't do that. Don't do not do that. If I have a Stedford wife in front of me, I kind of roll my eyes and walk away. Like I, I like the people of the hard knocks that learn the lessons. But just like you... We really are all one. The only thing that separated me and him was the fact that he had made some decisions that he really wasn't proud of anymore either. And the fact that he came to realize it was even more profound to me because most people, in my opinion, never really want to face that shadow side. They always want to, oh, well, I did this because somebody else did this to me. It's a cause and effect thing. It's a victim mindset. So I always... I've retrospected on that before, but right when you were telling your story is when I was like, oh, I've had the same moment too. And I've had multiple moments like that where I'm like, we are really all one. I know we're individual expressions of the same thing or the same energy. I think that's the easiest way I can humanly express it. But Mm -hmm. the individuality in all of us and ultimately what you said, being essential and not being essential at the same time is honestly one of the most beautiful paradoxes and freedoms that I've found in life because it gets that pressure off you that you have to do something or be something or achieve something by a certain age and especially for you you write a lot in your blog about the you know the battle on aging almost like it you don't have to have a certain degree for it make a certain amount of money it's happening no matter what so one of my biggest questions I wanted to ask you was what's your advice to keep that vitality going as you know you're fighting age anyway what are, what are your tips and tricks for people out there that want to not only keep their desires alive, their passions, their dreams, their health everything
1: I'm really glad you asked because that's one of the fundamental purposes of my book and it actually was the first purpose uh, when uh, I was originally conceiving of writing a book I was going to call the book fifty-nine. For, I was going to call the book forever, you know, fifty-nine forever. Either for, forever fifty-nine or fifty-nine forever, because I was just about to turn sixty, and I was living the best years of my life. In fact, my daughter asked me, uh, "Dad, when you think back over your life, what 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 were the best? What was the best year of your life?" And I thought about it, and my whole life flashed in front of me. There's there's a chapter in the book that tells this story, so I'll just abbreviate it. And at the at, very quickly I came to the conclusion, I'm living the best years of my life now. And that isn't the way it is for a lot of people. A, a lot of people feel that the best years of your life are when you're in college, your college years. This is what my uncle told me. Enjoy your college years because those will prove to be the best years of your life. And I found that to be very sad. Uh, and not the way that I want to live my life. Every year should be better in some way than the than the year before. And so I wanted to write a book called Forever 59 that was going to convey that, but I couldn't figure out exactly how to put that book together, and, and one day uh, in the deserts of Las Vegas while I was out on my mountain bike, Um, uh, The words Deadhead Cyclist came to me while I was listening to the uh, March 9th, 1981 show from uh, Madison Square Garden in New York. And I I got so excited when the words Deadhead Cyclist came to me from above that uh, I I stopped and I dialed up GoDaddy to see if DeadheadCyclist.com was available. And sure enough, it was. And, uh, and I've been the deadhead cyclist ever since. And, but I've always wanted to have this theme of uh, how to age correctly running through uh, the wisdom that's uh, put forth in this book. I, I envision it as a three-legged stool. If you've ever sat on a three-legged stool, or if, you've ever, if you can visualize a three-legged stool in your mind right now, you'll understand that a three-legged stool can only stand up if all three of those legs are in place. If any one of those legs is not in place, the stool will fall over. And so anyone who's aging and is having trouble, uh, I would encourage you to think of your life as a three-legged stool, and here are the names of those three legs. The first leg is diet. What you eat is so vitally important I saw a statistic recently that in 1985, the most obese state in the country was Mississippi with a 19% obesity rate. I'm not gonna bother defining obesity and I'm not sure exactly how it was defined, but I think we all know what obese means. 19% in 1985, Mississippi was the most obese state. Fast forward, to, not, to 2015, in 2015, the same study was done, Miss, the Mississippi obesity rate was about 35%, but Colorado was the least obese state in the country, 30 years later, at 19%. So, f- over the course of 30 years, we went from the most obese state being 19% to the least obese, to the, to the least obese state, being 19%. We are headed in the wrong direction with respect to what we're eating. And I would lay the blame largely on the fast food industry. Many people have probably seen the the, um, the, the Super Size Me uh, documentary about mm-hmm. the guy that went on a purely McDonald's diet for some period of several months and almost killed himself because of it. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, we're eating the wrong kinds of foods. We're approaching eating in the wrong way, okay? So diet is the first leg of the stool. The second leg of the stool is exercise, or you could call it movement. Um, at these Grateful Dead concerts, people are moving, baby. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I'm not saying there's no, there's no obesity there, but people are dancing. They're, you know, they're dancing in the streets, uh, and... And staying active into your older years, uh, at the age of 64, I did 252 uh, rides, mostly mountain bike, but some road rides. To the tune of 4200 miles and 411,000 feet of elevation gain here uh, in, the, in the foothills of the Rocky Mountains and various other places where I ride. I stay active. I try to, to do something active every day and so the second leg of the stool is, uh, is exercise or movement. The third leg of the stool is actually the most important leg. The third leg of the stool is attitude. Attitude. What is your attitude about aging? A lot of people, a lot of people display their attitude by by saying, "I remember when I used to and then fill in the blank. I used to be able to mountain bike. I used to be able to play baseball. I used to be able to, you know, wh- wh- whatever whatever things you used to be able to do. There, there, There's no reason why you shouldn't still be able to do those things now if you live your life right. And having the attitude of, I'm not going to give up this just because I'm of a certain age. I'm going to find a way to continue doing it. So, for example, I continue to play adult baseball at a competitive level, and this is hardball baseball with fastballs and curves and sliders and knuckleballs, not softball, um, in, in, well into my 60s to the tune of over 100 games a year, and I, and I stay in shape, I, I exercise, and I do what I need to do because my attitude is... I'm not going to stop playing baseball. I love playing baseball. I want to continue to do the things I love doing. And, and, and that, and, and it's a lot of it is about attitude. So as I like to put it, I have held up a middle finger to the aging process. Now that doesn't mean you're not going to age and it doesn't mean you're not eventually going to have to give things up. And it doesn't mean you're not eventually going to die and not be able to do anything. Okay. All of that is a fact. And yet, at the same time, if you live your life as if those aren't facts, as if those are choices that you're going to make, even though, even though ultimately something will be forced on you, okay. Uh, but still, if you live your life as if you're choosing to stay active you're choosing to continue cycling you're choosing to continue playing baseball you you know you're choosing to continue to do the things that you've always loved doing going to grateful dead concerts you know that's that's your best bet for staying youthful for a lifetime
0: great answer great great thank great you. i i don't even have a follow up besides thank you so much for coming on and Sharing all of your wisdom, all your advice, all your stories, and just letting us peek into a little bit of who you are.
1: Well, it's been my pleasure. I've been wanting to do it for a while, and now that the book is finally out, it came out around the first of May, and I've gotten through these Dead and Company weekends. Uh, I thought this was the right time to to get back to my friend Cheyenne and and help support what you're doing because. What you're doing is is really impressive and and really excellent. I've li- listened to uh, a number of your blogs and uh, and really like what you're doing. And it's very consistent with the Grateful Dead movement and the message that we've been talking about throughout this interview. And it's it's been a, it's been a great joy for me to be with you. And I hope we can do it again sometime.
0: Yes, you are welcome in my safe space. Whenever you feel like coming back, write another book. Come on, read a couple chapters. You're always welcome here, Stu.
1: Thank you, Cheyenne. Appreciate hey, it.
0: Hey, since you just spent a couple nights in Boulder, I've been waiting a while to play you some tracks for my show. So today, Vitality Expose is going to bring us jack straw originally from grateful dead dead and company is the one who brought it to us they brought it to us from the maryland heights missouri show this is going to be from june 21st 2022 i'm letting you know that date in case you really feel like seeing the show you can go to nugs.net if you don't have a nugs.net subscription i highly recommend it but i will see you all on the next episode this is jack straw live from dead and company This is the Hoosier Media Network, your home for podcasting.